down. Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with the karakia. Unahia te pō, te pō whirimanama. Tomakia te ao, te ao whatatangata. Tātai ki ronga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahurau. Hamie, hui, tai ki. Kia ora tātou, haere mai, and welcome to the Floods Online Field Trip. Ko Shelley Taku Ingoa, your learns kaiārahi on this field trip. And very pleased to introduce our experts for today. Uh, we've got James from Great Wellington Regional Council and Lee from the uh, And we've got Barry facilitating this from Ōtutahi Christchurch, the Learns Office. And we don't have any schools with us today, but we do have some questions on their behalf. So I'm based here in Otiputi. Dunedin, uh, another grey, cold, wintry day, but no flooding on the horizon, thankfully. Um, and I want to give our experts a chance to introduce themselves and tell us a bit more about their mahi. Uh, we'll start with Lisa. Kia ora, um, Lisa Maria Ho, Lisa Maria Ho, and uh, I am the Head of Weather Communication at Met Service. So what does that mean? Well, my team do all the communication when we have a severe weather event. Uh, we do the social media, we do the press releases, we talk to media and we talk to the public and we just try and make sure that message gets out uh, into media because it helps us uh, get the message out to you. Uh, but you can always check all the weather information on the Met Service website or the Met Service app as well. But uh, I got into doing the weather just because I want to know how stuff works, you know, how are clouds made and uh, why do are they the, the shape they are? Um, and my work changes every single day. So it keeps it interesting. Does indeed. Aotearoa is great at throwing us some very changeable weather, so mm. it's always interesting. Thanks, Lisa. And James? Um, uh, I work for Greater Wellington Regional Council. I'm an engineer who works in the flood protection team, and my job is to help um, minimise the impacts of flooding on the community and, where possible, help them avoid flooding in the first place. I have been an engineer for 25 years, uh, and I like to solve problems. That's why I'm an engineer. Um, I, I find my job um, challenging at times, in particular when we deal with people who might be frustrated or upset because they have experienced flooding. So that just reinforces the fact that I want to help them avoid it in the first place. Thank Fantastic. You. Thanks, James. Yeah, a couple of very important jobs. So it's great to have you experts with us this morning to be able to answer our questions. Um, we'll start with the first question, and that is, why are floods our number one hazard? A lot of people think of earthquakes as being um, one of our number one hazards, but floods are considered the number one. So why is that? James, do you want to start? Yeah, uh, so my understanding of it is that uh, flooding, uh, surface flooding, river flooding, um, coastal flooding is the most frequent type of hazard that we experience in our lifetime. So we are likely to experience severe flooding if we live on a floodplain at least once in our lifetime. Um, yeah, uh, and the frequency of flooding, the probability of the flooding is all based on what happens with the rainfall. 
So yeah, um, that's that's why it's important. Thanks, James. Yeah. And another thing to sort of add to that is like climate change, flooding is one of those things that will probably increase unless we you know change our infrastructure and things like that. So we are expecting to see more rainfall. Um, with climate change because we have a warmer atmosphere it can hold more water so when those big storms come in they've got extra rain in them you know yeah so we're expecting more severe storms in the future so certainly uh, important that we all prepare for floods yeah we won't necessarily get more storms we'll still get probably very similar amount but on the day we do get those storms, they'll probably be heavier. You know, we're probably going to see more rainfall in those storms. So they'll have more of an impact and more flooding. Right. Yeah, good to know. Thank you. Um, and our next question, is there a, a definition of a flood? Because we've talked about the fact that there's lots of different types of flood. So how can we define flooding? James. Again, uh, when we this is about how often we will experience the flooding. So we define flooding uh, typically based on the probability that we will experience the flooding. So uh, in the past, we used to refer to floods that might occur once, one every 100 years or once every 50 years. Now, these are probabilities. These are the 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 probability of that any given event happening, happening in any given year. Now we tend to use a different way of describing flooding and we call it annual exceedance probability. So that's a big series of words, but all they mean are uh, that you, will, you have a certain probability of experiencing a certain sized flood event. And the reason why we break it into categories of different sized flood events is because we need to provide different levels of protection to different forms of our community. So we might provide a, a different level of protection to a large city when compared to an area of farmland or a small rural community. Those are the reasons why we separate the frequency of flooding out into different, uh, into different categories. And so typically we might talk about a 1% annual exceedance probability, and that is equivalent to the one in 100 year um, flood in the old description and that's quite a typical flood to provide protection for, from for people who live in uh, at-risk communities. Yeah. Right and Lisa do you have anything to add there? Um, well we talk about different types sometimes um, and James you probably can add to this is the different types is like there's there's flash flooding there's uh you know we talk about surface flooding uh you should never drive through surface flooding you know because you don't know how deep it's going to be or if there's potholes um there's uh, coastal flooding because it comes in from the coast as well so you you have all those different types of flooding as well i don't know james if you want to add to how they impact you um in your job yeah so that's that's it's a great illustration there are there are types of flooding that are more catastrophic than others. So um, when we talk about risk and we talk about flood risk, we're talking about two things. One of them is how probable an event is, and the other one is well, what, are the, what goes wrong when that happens? What's, what, are, what are the consequences of that happening? Mm -hmm. So 
uh, if we look again at um, stormwater flooding and the nature of flooding, there are some forms of flooding that we have no ability to control. Um, and that's river flooding, uh, stormwater flooding, coastal flooding, but some have greater consequences than others. So stormwater flooding typically has lower consequences than river flooding. If a river floods through your house, it's quite catastrophic. Um, but if, storm, if the stormwater drain in the front of your house blocks and you have a little bit of water on your property, it's less catastrophic. So we tend to classify the, the different types of flooding in, in terms of what can go wrong for people and property when that occurs. Right, thank you. And um, we've kind of talked a little bit about this, but what factors cause a flood? Some are natural, some, some aren't. Well, I could start with the weather side of it. And maybe James, I'll tag team it to you again. Um, so often um, as, as a meteorologist, Emerson, then we can see the weather models are predicting that, you know, a big weather event is coming in. Often they're sort of, uh, there's a feed of water coming in with them or it's a really deep low. Uh, and so we know there's a lot of rainfall coming. Um, so that's the start of it. Usually uh, there's a lot of uplift in the atmosphere because that causes more rain as well. So warm air as a well, warmer air coming over colder seas. So all these things uh, add up to the fact that you're going to have a big rain event. Now, there is another type that isn't as broad scale, and that's thunderstorms. So thunderstorms are, um, and I talked about this in, in our uh, in other chats as well, is that the thunderstorms are like popcorn in a pot. You don't know which kernel is going to pop. You know, it's, you know, all the ingredients are there, but you don't know exactly where it's going to go. So um, th those ones are very hard to forecast. So you have to, uh, with those, because the rainfall comes in downpours, absolute downpours. And we, we, we saw that recently with, with, with the thunderstorms that we had. And I'm sure there's thunderstorms around the country at different times that you see that and they just come down and they do cause some flooding and some can be quite catastrophic uh, like they had in the Gisborne area as well. So um, yeah, they're, they're, that's what sort of the, uh, the cause of the flooding. And then onto you, I'll tag it to, to you now, James. Right, so now we've, we've, we've spoken about the rainfall, which is the main driver for flooding. We, we can now look at why does it actually occur? Now, when we have a lot of rainfall, that water falls on the ground and travels down based on the topography or the slope of the ground into channels, which then uh, meet and join and uh, eventually become rivers. And what's occurring is that there's more water that's entering those channels than those channels can contain. And so that water spills out in areas uh, of what we call floodplains, typically. And in those floodplains, there's a river channel or a stream channel, but there's also what we call the floodplain. There's a berm, flat ground next to the river. Now, typically, these are in the lower parts of the catchment. Uh, the lower sections of rivers when they discharge into other rivers or they discharge to the coast or into a harbour. Now, these areas of floodplain, when the river cannot contain these, this runoff water, 
it flows out across the floodplain and causes flooding to the people who live on the floodplain and in those flat areas. Mm. That's what causes the flooding that those people experience when it comes from rivers, when it comes from stormwater, it's, it's just basically there's more water that's flowing on the ground, falling on the ground, flowing around on the, on the ground surface, then the drainage system, the stormwater system can deal with. And so the water then builds up in ponds. And that's typically what you find on the side of roads after extended periods of rain or after very intense rainfall. Uh, with very intense rainfall, uh, the ability for the ground to absorb the water or for the water to run off quickly is limited. So we find flooding in all parts of our, uh, our rivers and streams instead of just on the floodplains. And why that's an issue or problem is that the ground, the slopes, the hills, they, they're not, they cannot uh, um, maintain their ability to um, be stable when we have all this water. And so that's when we typically find we have lots of landslips and problems with drains and streams with the banks falling in because the ground becomes saturated. Mm, and that leads very nicely into our next question. Can you design cities and farms and the likes um, so they won't flood? Um, yeah, so what we can do is we can design cities uh, in rural areas and farms so the impacts of flooding are minimised. So in the past, as an engineer, there was a dominant way of thinking whereby we had to protect everything and we had to protect everything with structures. What we've learned is that over time, that does not suit the nature of flooding. Um, it's better to adapt to the flood water as it comes down and to separate areas where people might be affected from areas that would flood. Um, and this allows the flood waters to still have some um, natural character. They still come out and flood on the flood the floodplain or the farms, but they are separated from areas where people live and therefore the impact is minimized. If we try and uh, contain all of the floodwaters behind stock banks or structures, walls, etc., um, we are constraining everything in the system and that has a dramatic impact on the natural character of the river or stream that we're dealing with. Um, and that can actually destroy ecosystems and can cause further ongoing issues that require the community to pay more and more money to provide the same level of protection. The other aspect of that is if, if you contain it with structures and it does fail, it's way more catastrophic. Because like if, it, if a stop bank breaches, it, it goes into everything. Yeah, and that's what we call residual flood hazard. So that's the flood hazard that exists when you have done something to stop it happening. But if that thing was to fail or um, to no longer exist, then the flooding would be quite, would be worse because people aren't, for one, aren't prepared for it. And it typically when one of those stock banks or walls does not work anymore, or we call it fails, then the inundation is very fast and very mm. dangerous. Mm, so quite a lot to think about in terms of design and future design if we're expecting uh, heavier rain events in the future. Okay, our next question is, 
We're in Aotearoa, are the most flood-prone places, and are there areas where there aren't any floods? Um, yeah, so I can answer this question. Uh, anywhere where we have uh, rivers that discharge to the coast or have flat ground around certain portions of the rivers, we call those floodplains. Anytime where we have those areas, those areas are prone to flooding. All rivers are prone to flooding. It's just the consequences of them flooding that are different. Um, and the frequency that they might flood is based on the vulnerability on the floodplains. Also, when we talk about um, cities and areas that are developed, uh, they're subject to stormwater flood hazard. And that's based a lot on the fact that when we have a whole lot of houses and roads closely together, as in a city or a town, the water runs off very quickly because we have what we call impervious or hard surfaces. The water cannot soak into those surfaces, so they run off very fast. Um, and that causes problems because the, the pipes and culverts in the ground, they cannot contain that water when it happens in a short duration. If we talk about areas which do not flood, um, we would be talking about the tops of hills and elevated ground, which are not subject to um, the fluvial or, or the, the processes that are typical when we have rainfall hit landing on the ground. So just like when you go camping and you're looking for an appropriate place to put a tent, if you know it's going to rain, then we would always look to put it on the high ground. And then we know that if it did rain or become damp overnight, then we wouldn't get our um, tent, our, our sleeping bags wet. Yes, good advice. <laughs> and, and Lisa, from the weather patterns that we talked about um, on the videos, there are places that get more severe weather events that are just a little bit more prone to this, aren't there? Yeah, well, we get most of our weather from the west. Now, we do get storms down from the north and from the south. But they tend to be the northwest and the southwest. So that western area bring most of our weather, big, big weather events. Unless a low passes by New Zealand and comes back around, which happens for Gisborne and Hawke's Bay region. But those western areas in particular do get big events. And we've seen a lot of that with flooding in Buller and uh, Westport region um, and so uh, yeah they come in in those western areas and because our mountain range we have these big mountains especially in the south island but right through uh, Aotearoa you know and so they come in they push up the the air the rain falls out of it mostly on those western sides as well before it comes over and that's why you can have a flood event on the west coast and a drought event on the east coast of New Zealand, especially the South Island areas. Um, so, yeah, the weather, uh, some western areas for sure. Also, most of our thunderstorms come in on that side as well. Uh, they're the spring and autumn thunderstorms. But of course, the summer thunderstorms, they bubble up over the land with the heating. And so they can happen in lots of other places as well. Yeah, so always important that we uh, look at the forecasts and take notice of Met Service. Thank you. And our last question for this morning uh, is, are there priority places that authorities do not want to flood? For example, um, 
lower priority areas being perhaps recreational places, uh, walking tracks, sports fields, that kind of thing. Are, are there uh, types of land use that can um, be controlled to control flood risk, James? Yeah, so this is a, this perfect illustration of when we look at the consequences of what the what flooding might what damage the flooding might um, cause when it happens, we can then see the areas that we want flooding to avoid flooding and the areas which, while it's not ideal, we can allow to flood. So typically things that we don't want to flood would be schools, hospitals, Indeed. critical infrastructure, anywhere where we have vulnerable people, aged care facilities, um, those kinds of things are where we recognise that it's really hard to get people out of those um, places, those facilities, in, on a short notice, um, urgently. So what we typically do is we make sure that they are exposed to the least amount of risk from uh, natural hazards, in particular from flooding. Uh, in the areas that we can re reasonably frequently allow to flood, uh, are things like you just just described there, Shelley, um, things like sports fields, recreational areas, walking tracks, parks, uh, and also uh, other facilities where flooding will cause the least amount of damage. And in rural areas, this has been happening um, since we've had agriculture, basically, um, areas of farmland would typically flood and in, in the past and even today flooding of farmland can actually provide something to the farmers uh, while it's an inconvenience and, and let silt fall on the fields what the silt actually can do is provide nutrients to the ground and mean that the farmers typically will have to use less um, products nitrogen and phosphorus fertilizers on the soil to get the same yields for their crops. Now that would be if the flooding occurred at the right time of the year, every year. Um, and so that doesn't happen in New Zealand, but in other parts of the world it does. And in particular, this has been happening for the last 6,000 years and on the River Nile and in Mesopotamia with the Euphrates and Tigris rivers. So, um, there's a long history of human beings being associated with flooding and farming as well. So in New Zealand, we have a lot of farmland which, which floods, and unfortunately it costs the farmers money to remove the debris. But it's better that they, the farms flood than the, the rural towns and villages do. So that's what we do. We try and focus the flooding. If, if it does have to affect anybody, that it affects farmland before it affects a town or a village. Mm, and I expect you get information um, from the likes of, of Met Service and hydrologists, people that monitor rivers, all that kind of thing to help you know um, how to zone land use. Yeah, that's, that's exactly correct. So we take the information that we get from NEWA and from our rain gauges that each council or regional council might have in their area. And we, we do analysis of how the rain has fallen, when the rain has fallen and how much 
rain has fallen. And we can use that information for us to understand when rivers flood or streams or stormwater, local area stormwater, when that, all that type of flooding occurs, um, how big the areas will be that flood. So what we call the extent of the areas that flood and how deep the water will be and how long the water is there on the ground. So we can use all that information to do exactly that, figure out who we need to protect, who, what areas we can allow to flood for a limited time. Yeah, so all of that information is gathered and analyzed and that's what we do at, at the regional council um, in our jobs. We take the information from the med service and we analyze it and we look at different options to provide protection. We ask the community what they want, how they would like to pay. And then we, um, once we've all agreed about what we want to do, we um, build and protect our communities, um, build flood protection, like stock banks that we've already discussed, and other measures to help protect our communities. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, thanks, Lisa and James, for your great answers this morning. I know I've learned a lot. Um, so thank you very much for your time. And remember, you can watch the videos from this field trip to learn more. Uh, those were based in Te Whanganui Atara, Wellington. So check those out if you haven't already. But thank you very much to Lisa and James. Nā mihi nui, and that brings our Learns web conference to an end. <laughs>